Chapter Two of Campfire Girls at Twin Lakes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Campfire Girls at Twin Lakes, or The Quest of a Summer Vacation, by Stella M. Francis. Chapter Two, A Special Meeting Called. Fern Hollow, begging the indulgence of those who have read the earlier volume of this series, is a deep, richly vegetated ravine or gully, forming one of a series of scenic convolutions of the surface of the earth which gave the neighboring town of Fairbury a wide reputation as a place of beauty. The thirteen campfire girls who had pitched their tents in the lower hillside a few hundred feet from a boisterous gravel and boulder bedded stream known as Butter Creek were students at Hiawatha Institute, a girls' school in a neighboring state. The students of that school were all campfire girls, and it was not an uncommon thing for individual fires to spend parts of their vacations together at favorite camping places. On the present occasion, the members of Flamingo Fire were guests of one of their own number, Hazel Edwards on the farm of the latter's aunt, Mrs. Hannah Hutchins, which included a considerable section of the scenic ravine known as Fern Hollow. They had some startling adventures in the last few weeks, and although several days had elapsed since the wind-up in these events, and it seemed that a season of quiet, peaceful camp life was in store for them, still they were sufficiently keyed up to the unusual in life to accept surprises and astonishing climaxes as almost matters of course. But all of these experiences had not rendered them restless and discontented, when events slowed down to the ordinary course of everyday life, including three meals a day, eight hours sleep, and a program of tramps, exercises, and honor endeavors. The girls were really glad to return to their schedule and their handbook for instructions as to how they should occupy their time. After all, adventures make entertaining reading, but very few, if any, persons normally constituted would choose a melodramatic career if offered as an alternative along with an even tenor existence. All within one week, these girls had witnessed the execution of an astonishing plot by a band of skilled lawbreakers, and subsequently had followed Mrs. Hutchins through a series of experiences relative to the loss of a large amount of property, which she held in trust for a relative of her late husband, and its recovery through the brilliant and energetic endeavors of some of the members of the campfire, particularly Hazel Edwards and Harriet Newcomb. The chief culprit, Percy Tetch, a nephew of Mrs. Hutchins' late husband, had been captured, had escaped, had been captured again and lodged in jail, and clues as to the identity of a number of the rest 
had been worked out by the police, so that the hope was expressed confidently that eventually they too would be caught. Mrs. Hutchins is very grateful for the part this campfire took in the recovery of the lost securities of which she was trustee. Catherine announced by way of introducing her great news to the members of the fire who assembled in response to her call. Of course Hazel did the really big things, assisted and encouraged by the companionship of Harriet and Violet, but Mrs. Hutchins feels like thanking us all for being here and looking pleasant. Hazel Edwards, niece of Mrs. Hutchins, was not present during this conversation. By prearranged purpose, she was absent from the camp when Catherine put to the other girls the proposition made by the wealthy aunt of their girl hostess. The reason it was decided best for her to remain away while the other girls were considering the plan was that it was feared that her presence might tend to suppress arguments against its acceptance, and that was a possibility which Hazel and her aunt wished to avoid. So Catherine was selected to lay the matter before the campfire, because she was no more chummy with Hazel than any of the other girls. "'Let's make this a special business meeting,' suggested Miss Ladd, who had already discussed the proposition with Catherine and Mrs. Hutchins. "'What Catherine has to say interests you as an organization. You'd have to bring the matter up at a business meeting anyway,' to take action on it, and our regular one is two weeks ahead. We can't wait that long if we are going to do anything on the subject. It was a little after ten o'clock, and the girls had been working for the last hour at various occupations which appeared on their several routine schedules for this part of the day. In fact, all of their regular academic and handwork study hours were in the morning. Just before Catherine called the girls together, they were seated here and there, in shady spots on camp chairs, or on the grass in the vicinity of the camp, occupied thus. Violet Monday and Marie Crismore were studying the lives of well-known Indians. Julietta Hyde and Estelle Adler were reading a book of Indian legends, and making a study of Indian symbols. Harriet Newcomb and Azalia Atwood were studying the campfire hand sign language. Ernestine Johansson and Ethel Zimmerman were crocheting some luncheon sets. Ruth Hazelton and Helen Nash were mending their ceremonial gowns. Marion Stanlock was making a beaded headband, and Catherine Crane, secretary of the fire, was looking over the minutes of the last meeting and preparing a new book in which to enter the records of the next meeting. Everybody signifying assent to the guardian's suggestion, a meeting was declared and called to order. The Wohello song was sung, the roll was called, the minutes of the last meeting were read, the reports of the treasurer and committees were deferred, as were also the recording of honours in the record book, and the decorating of the count. 
and then the guardian called for new business. This was the occasion for Catherine to address the meeting formally on the matter she had in mind. End of chapter 2